This is a Stand Up Labs production, powered by digital media. From Race Wars Podcast, this is Unhirable with White Karen and Go To Gay Tommy. Okay, this is a get. It's a it's a Green Party get, but it's not Jill Stein. It's Tell even that. better. It's her running mate from the 2016 election, Ajamu Baraka. Yo, we tried so hard to make him unreasonable. I swear to God, he is, like, kind of reasonable. He's, like, really reasonable, but you are going <laughs> to lose your shit at the fuck, Mary kill at the end of this episode. I mean, it's maybe so the good. best one ever. Ever. Period. I don't know who can top this. Enjoy. You guys, you're welcome. Well, uh... Let's let's get started while he's if you can hear me. Oh, now that's better. I hear you better. All oh, right, Shelby, you hit the button. Good job, Shelby. <laughs> All right, cool, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, is it good to call you, Mr. Baraka? What do you prefer? Uh, Ajamu is fine. Ajamu. Okay, cool. Ajamu. Yeah. Awesome. Really, really a pleasure. Uh, I I voted for you, uh, Karen. Who I'll did you vote? It. Yeah, you're welcome, Karen. Who did you vote for? Um, I voted in Pennsylvania, so I wanted to count. <laughs> oh snap! <laughs> what? <laughs> How does that make you feel when you're going? Can I ask you a question? My first question is: You're starting this Power to the People tour, right? Yes. So what what is this tour that you're embarking on right now? Well, you know, it's, it's actually um, kind of a, a follow-up to the campaign because one of the one, one of the main messages that I had during the campaign was that this campaign wasn't just about the vote on November the eighth, as important as that vote uh, was, but it was about uh, an understanding that in order to make real change in this country, we had to commit to shifting power back to the people. Mm-hmm. I mean the the uh, our our campaign was called a power to the people and so we understood that that meant we had to build uh, alternative structures that it wasn't just about the vote and participating in the electoral process but it was about building alternative structures that would be sustainable that we recognize that this uh, struggle that we are involved in to transform this society was in fact a protracted struggle. And so, you know, with that uh, as the sort of central um, uh, message, you know, we have since the election continued to uh, try to build the party uh, to, uh, uh, you know, uh, facilitate the development of Green Party structures across the country. So this uh, mini tour, tour that we are on, I'm calling it a mini one because I, I really can't de- devote the entire you know, six weeks to it. But it is to, in fact, do that, to go into various states. Um, I'm attending a number of uh, state conventions. Uh, I'm meeting with various uh, local Green Party chapters uh, and helping them to think through how we strengthen their local um, operations. So it's all part of of this, this, this understanding that, you know, we've got to build something that's really truly authentic uh, and alternative. So my question is, it seems like the inverse of what the Trump uh, party, I don't, is it the Republican Party? I don't know. What do we, whatever Trump is, um, yes. it's the inverse, the power of the people, giving government back to the people. That's what he was saying throughout. So what's the difference? What's the difference in the approach? Because it also seems like what Trump is doing is trying to dismantle systems and re place them with ones that he's claiming are sustainable in a way that the existing ones are not. 
Well, you know, besides the fact that um, uh, for Trump as a, a billionaire and member of the 1% to talk about uh, attempting to bring government under the control of the people is really somewhat absurd. Um, but we, the, what's really different about what we're trying to do is that we, uh, when we talk about the people, our conception of the people is slightly different from uh, Donald Trump. Our people, uh, our conception uh, includes many of the people who may have voted for Donald Trump, who uh, in their desire to uh, address some of their, their, their needs and, and, and their feelings of being uh, economically uh, marginalized, that they believe the, the hype from Donald Trump, that he had their interests in, in mind uh, and had the, the policies that would address uh, their material interests. And we know that that can happen. So our conception of the people include all of those kinds of folks who are part of the working class, who are poor folks, who are not going to be able to uh, address their real needs within the existing economic relationships. It's just simple as that. So our conception is broad. It, it really entails uh, the, the potential uh, people. And when I say potential people, meaning that, you know, this process of defining and constructing uh, the people is a political process. Is a process of engaging people and, and 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 developing a certain kind of consciousness, but is a popular process that's not uh, exclusive. It means that anyone could be part of this. You know, if you are committed to a politics of inclusion, a politics of social of a commitment to social justice, a politics that has as its base a an alternative ethical framework that. Uh, uh, you know, cannot embrace a politics that says that uh, undocumented people need to be uh, uh, rounded up and thrown out mm -hmm. the country, that we're going to build a wall, uh, that, uh, you know, that there's, there's social Darwinism in this society, that we're going to engage in military operations around the country, around the world against uh, the other. Um, our conception and my conception of the people uh, is much more inclusive. Therefore, I think that's the real fundamental difference. So you, you would think that um, the Green Party or like environmental concerns and like campaigns that are um, um, organized around those kinds of concerns would be really inclusive, right? And unifying because mm -hmm. it's something that we all have to deal with and that we're all literally in this generation are feeling. So why do you think that environmental politics are so divisive in this country? Shouldn't we just be agreeing? It, it, you said divisive? Yeah. Well, I mean, like like most politics in this country, I mean, you have uh, folks who have different kinds of perspectives and different uh, uh, political orientations, mm -hmm. um, and so you 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 have you have political struggle. I mean, sure, but this is I'm, but but environmental stuff is kind of apolitical, right? I mean, I'm not talking about special interests and lobbyists and stuff like that. I'm talking about mm -hmm. really just things that affect all of us. Like whether the Earth you're, could eat us as a species. Right, it's if not it a socioeconomic to. thing, right? It's like the great equalizer. If 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 shit goes down with the planet, we're all equally fucked, and money won't save you, right? So why in this country are we not, in your opinion, are we not totally rallying around this? Well, I, 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 I'm not sure specifically what divisiveness you are referring to, but it, I, I suspect that what you may be referring to is uh, some of their approaches and strategy in terms of how I think there's a, a bottom line agreement among many people who would define themselves as environmentalists that we have we have a lot of work to do to try to address the, the, the crisis of uh, environmental destruction, uh, climate change and all of that. I think that what 
where we might find uh, disagreements mm -hmm. uh, is related to how we approach that. How do we relate to government? What should be the uh, the policies? Well, and but how much not, of that it's... comes from identity stuff? Because like one thing that I thought was very interesting was the day after the election, that post that Rosa Clemente put up about working on the campaign and was very critical of your running mate, Jill Stein. Um, yep. And, and it sort of like talked, it spoke to this idea of white feminism that was being bandied about a lot, mostly in reference to uh, Hillary Clinton, but also a little bit to Jill Stein. And that really, so I'm wondering how much of it has to do with identity, the divisiveness maybe that you're perceiving even, Karen. You know, I, I, I think in terms of the environmental issues, I think they're more political. I mean, I mean, it's difficult for me to conceptualize notions of identity in terms of how they relate to the environmental uh, concerns. And I'm also, I'm, I'm, I suspect we, we'll have a chance to talk about this some more. I'm also concerned about how this notion of identity is understood, defined, uh, and, and is, and is uh, projected as part of our national discourse right now. Because, you know, mm -hmm. you know I, I, I can't assume when people use that term that I'm, I'm understanding exactly what it is that they mean by that. And I know that, for example, uh, Rosa Clemente's uh, critique was related to uh, what she defined as some of the white feminist identity politics of a Jill Stein that may not had may not have had the kind of uh, a stronger race and class uh, perspective. Um, you know, I, I think that is a legitimate uh, uh, area of, of of struggle and debate. Uh, but I think the, how some other people are using this notion of identity as though identity is some some kind of uh, um, uh, constructed illegitimate category, sort of the last refuge of the of, of the dishonest, uh, in order to uh, divide uh, folks and and for people to just push their particular identity agenda. I think that's sort of a reflective of of kind of a right wing kind of uh, analysis. Uh, when the when the concept of identity was first articulated you know, a couple of decades ago, remember identity and identity politics was a a right wing term. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so it sounds to me like you feel like there were valid critiques in what Rosa Clemente was saying about what she experienced in the campaign, um, but the way that people discuss what she put out there is what's problematic or is that where the misunderstanding is happening? Does it come down to white people sort of looking at identity as something that's constructed and not lived? Yeah, to, 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 to response. I think that uh, what I'm suggesting is that the, the, the issue that she raised uh, was an issue that is an ongoing debate. Uh, whether or not that issue was the, uh, was the issue with Jill Stein, that is the part that's really debatable. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure about that, but I know Rosa has her own lived experience, her own uh, analysis, um, and she put it out. Now, would I would have done, done that in the same way? No, especially within that context uh, where the, <laughs> we, were, we were experiencing withering criticism. Because you remember the first few weeks after this election, when people were still walking around sort of uh, shell-shocked and confused and, and angry, mm -hmm. uh, the, one of the first targets uh, was our campaign. Oh, my and God. We what was that like for you? Did you feel unsafe? 
Um, I, I, not necessarily. I felt uh, it, it was an unsafe environment, of course. But, um, you know, it, it was irrational. I knew that at some point it would begin to pass. But I was prepared and did uh, confront it uh, directly. Uh, so, but no, it was, it was, uh, it was, we were suffering withering criticism. And so for Rosa to, uh, to sort of uh, uh, raise that critique at that moment, it kind of felt like a, a piling on. And I, I came to, uh, and then me and Rosa had some frank conversations and I, you know, raised some questions with her and, and, um, and uh, I think we resolved some things, but I, I, I can't, I, I don't want to appear to delegitimize her critique. Uh, my issue was the, the context at that moment. So that 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 is that's one point. The other point is that you know uh, it, this notion of 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 of, of race and, and white people and, and 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 black people and all of that, you know, I, I, it's something that we've got to get to. We've, I mean, it still remains the, the Achilles' heel of, of progressive politics in the U.S. Uh, I understand. Uh, Folks who uh, who have never really had to confront and deal with this issue, uh, who see uh, uh, issues that are being raised around race and gender and, and, and ableness and all of that, as uh, uh, taking away from what they see that should be the the core uh, political program uh, around, uh, for example, the folks who are the, the class first uh, individuals. That, uh, like uh, Bernie Sanders, who said that. You know, we've got to move away from identity politics and, and raise up the issue of class. You know, for so sure. We, 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 but then we at the same, I understand that. But what what Bernie is pushing is sort of a uh, sort of this mechanical race class dichotomy that I thought we had resolved like twenty five years ago. Um, well, here's my question, right? So you talk about like, yeah. how, well, how does identity have to do with the environment or whatever? What does that really have to do? But somebody yeah. like Jill Stein being the figurehead of the Green Party, she's from Lexington. So I grew up in Boston. We used to compete against Lexington High School at the drama festival that we went to. And their productions mm -hmm. were always like, they always won. They always had clearly the biggest budget. Uh, they had they had the whitest casts, and that's no shade yeah. at all on Jill Stein. Uh, and I'm not saying that, yeah. but when you have somebody like that as the figurehead of the party, it does mean something when somebody like Rosa Clemente. So, like, I understand that it was a piling on, and probably from where you were sitting, it, it did not feel good. But from the outside, as somebody who was really angry and was experiencing a lot of other people's anger because I voted green, I was really mm -hmm. fucking pissed off that next day. And I wanted to just tell yeah. everybody I voted for Stein. And when I saw Rosa Clemente voicing a real, just righteous rage that I was feeling, not at all, I'm not saying that what happened to her happened to me. But I, to see somebody mm -hmm. just honestly angry and talking about mm -hmm. it, I don't know. It really made me think about what is the best thing for green politics? Mm -hmm. Because yeah. this is about identity. Because, mm -hmm. because Jill Stein's identity, I think, personally, I like Jill Stein. I voted for her twice. Uh, and mm -hmm. half of my presidential votes have gone to her. But, but you, you have you. You have Rosa Clemente. You have people. You came up like you're talking about politics of liberation. I don't really hear Jill Stein because I don't think she knows what that is. She's a doctor. She's double Harvard educated. Like she can she can know it. She can know it the way that I can know it. But she can't like she's not coming from the lived experience. So it, it seemed like what I heard Rosa Clemente say that was really interesting was like maybe the Green Party isn't where we're going to. We're not, I, I'm paraphrasing, but isn't where we're going to see these politics of liberation. And I agree, like, mm -hmm. we have to get past 
the the whole dichotomy that you were talking about and just accept people if we want to actually live on this planet that could eat us. So what, who's who's I, like, do you have any desire? Why don't you just step up and take this party? You're mouthy. You say shit that like <laughs> pisses people off. Like people think that you don't believe that the Holocaust happened. Like you're you're the you're the Donald Trump. Like it's someone like you. It's someone like Susan Sarandon. It's someone like Rosa Clemente. Like we got to get over Jill Stein. Is my point. I like Jill Stein, but like it's time to move on from that. No. Well, I, I hear you. I hear you, and and it, it, you know, and I think me. I think people are sort of moving uh, moving on, if you will. Um, Is she? And I, I, I hear, well, I, that's a good that's a, a, a good question. I mean, I think she is attempting to do what she thinks needs to be done for for the party. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, do you think she's doing the right thing? Know, I, I think she's doing the, doing the right thing now. I you know, but you know, you you ask me why don't you know why wouldn't I consider stepping up? Well, I'm gonna tell you something. It, it's <laughs> um. I'm going to support the Green Party to the extent that I can. I really believe that we have to have uh, an alternative framework, alternative party. Uh, but it, Rosa did raise a question as whether that, as to whether or not, you know, the kind of alternative electoral politics that we need to build, uh, you know, whether or not it would in fact be, uh, you know, reflected in the Green Party. Maybe maybe a, a new, a, a different kind of formation. So let so me. So I'm my my loyalty to the Green Party is. Is, is is conditional in terms of if, if it can build the kind of uh, electoral alternative we need, then great. If it can't, mm-hmm. then, you know, I'm prepared to throw my weight behind something else. So you have a lot of, like, um, so if you want to make the Green Party more mainstream or, like, we want to kind of break out of this ex- almost exclusive two-party system. Well, let's not even call it the Green then, Party. Let's just talk about what what is it that you would but, define needs to happen if it's not the Green Party, this uh, this other party, this other third party thing. Yeah, like what what like what role, what niche do you think like a third party needs to fill and like step up in this country? Yeah, now you know you 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 faded away just a little bit. So I think I heard what you said you said uh, uh, was what kind of niche would I think a, a a third party should play in this country? Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, we definitely, I think we, everybody would probably agree that we definitely have to have a, a politics and a uh, electoral choice beyond these two corporate parties. So for me, a third party or fourth party mm-hmm. will be formations that really reflect the needs and aspirations of the majority of the people in this country. And the majority of the people in this country are, in fact, uh, people who work. They're working class folks, even though we right. use these terms, middle class and all of that. You know, but the, these are people who who work for a living. These, we are, we're talking about a population in which, you know, fifty percent of the people are making fifteen dollars uh, or, or less an hour. Right. So we have to have a party that reflects those kinds of interests, uh, the kind of of, of potential worldview that 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 uh, also implies. You know, we have to have a a, a party that is willing to uh, deal with the the structural impediments to. Uh, a, a third party being competitive here in this country. We've got to have a party that has a vision that takes us beyond the already existing structures and relationships. Well, we, we can't, mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to transform this society unless people understand what that really means, that we're talking about fundamental structural change. Right. And we've got to have a politics that, that has the, the, the vision and the boldness 
uh, to in fact say that. But so if but if you want to make this party more man, appeal more to more than mainstream and and reflect um, issues that most people care about, you've said some pretty kind of off the wall stuff. For example, that I think a lot of people in this country don't really relate to. Like for example, you said that um, Israel is, in your opinion, worse than North Korea when it comes to repressing a population. That's like really is that inaccurate. Out there. But wait, is that inaccurate? Is that an accurate no, representation of what you said? Like that. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, my bad. But but <laughs> <laughs> but this is the problem. I think but, you get. I, I think that think a lot of stuff really gets attributed to you. Yeah, maybe so. But also, I. But you you. It, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but you seem to have a lot of kind of strong opinions that deviate from the mainstream about international issues, prisons in America, the death penalty. Um, you know, well, the assimilation of Black Americans. About, what's but wrong I'm just about saying, it? do you think? No, no, no. I'm not saying anything's right or wrong. But I'm saying, do you think that being so public about Opinions that might be towards the fringe a little bit more than the mainstream might be hurting your effort to mainstream the, the Green Party or a third party. Well, that, I mean, that's a, that's a legitimate question. Now, my approach to uh, to, to politics and to uh, transforming consciousness is that, uh, unfortunately, a few of us have to kind of step out there uh-huh. and, and kind of push the envelope. Um because you, it's very difficult for people to 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 change and to grow or whatever, unless you are really challenging their their comfortable worldviews, right. their comfortable and accepted uh, and uncritical values. But there's challenging, uh, and, and so, then there's stuff that people are going to reject at face value, right? Like they, so, they, they, they they make they may, and I think they do, and and so and I think that then then we have more reasonable voices that can. You know, uh, maybe have the same, have a similar kind of message, but something that that they might uh, reflect or and it might respond to in a more positive way. But I think they will res- <laughs> they will respond to them because their consciousness has been pricked mm-hmm. by perhaps something that that I said. So yeah, and I know it's some stuff that is for for mainstream um, uh, population. It sounds pretty pretty wild <laughs> yeah. but, well it's a know, long game I, right? I have i have i have a particular kind of uh, perspective and i think I'm, I'm articulating a certain kind of a certain kind of truth mm-hmm. okay so actually one of our favorite things to talk about on this podcast is israel so since karen <laughs> just dropped an israel bomb on us what what do so you think speak. of what do you think of israel and the way that we relate to it in this country yeah and going forward what should happen with israel how do you solve israel you know, I, it, the Israeli uh, issue is one of the most bizarre issues that I've ever really uh, confronted, um, and and how people relate to it in this country is is is, is bizarre. Well, people relate and, to it and, in a very the, identity politics way. Well, you know, the identity identity without without uh, without values, identity without uh, uh, morality. Well, meaning what when because, it comes to Israel? What's what's a, a, Israeli. What's she's, she's she's about to go out. Just no, so no, you no. Know. But I, I'm always happy to talk to people who agree or disagree yeah, with me. You you don't have to agree with me at all in Israel. I'm just yeah. I'm I'm curious. I always want to have a discussion, especially with people who don't agree with me. That's the most interesting, right? So yeah, of course. What, I love it. What um ha, okay? So let's say if you ha, if you were vice president right now, just sign were the president. What would your Israeli policy look like? Like, what would you want to achieve, and what would the end goal of Israel be for you guys? For you, actually. Uh, well, what? One thing, and I said this during the campaign, um, uh, was would be that we would definitely have a zero tolerance for any new settlements. Okay. One. I, mm-hmm. Secondly, we. What would, does that mean? Um, zero tolerance. Does that mean sanctions? Does that mean military intervention? No, no. It means that basically they will have. Then the message would, message would be absolutely clear 
that there will be no more uh, settlement, no more support for any new settlement right. in the occupied territories. What would you? Um, what would your policy be towards also Palestinian aggression towards Israel? I, I do agree that Israeli aggression is something that needs to be addressed. But what about the other direction? Well, I'm not sure how one. You know, I think that we, you may be referring to at one point before they, you know, built the separation walls and all of that. Uh-huh. You know, some of the the uh, quote unquote terrorist activities. Uh, is, but is beyond that, I'm not sure what what one could define as um, aggression. Well, I guess because, ter- you know, terrorist activities is pretty aggressive, don't you think? Bombings, uh, stabbings. I think, it, I think it, yeah, I think it is pretty aggressive, and I think the occupation is pretty uh, aggressive when you de- de- dehumanize and degrade people systematically as part of your of your policies. I it's mean, resistance. You know, when, it, is, you know, so me, is is violence acceptable if it's against something that you think is wrong? Is extreme violence, for example, the targeting of innocent people in a terrorist act acceptable? More so than building I a settlement? I'm, I'm, opposed to, I'm opposed to all forms of violence. Mm-hmm. I mean, no one in their right mind you know, wants to embrace a, a violence. But I think that people have a right, a right to resist. And I think that those of us who want to, to see a peaceful settlement of Israel mm-hmm. uh, should, be, should be committed to and, and, and prepared to force all of the uh, parties to the table yeah. and engage in a real peace process, something that has not happened. We, the closest we got was the, the Oslo process, mm-hmm. but that ended up being basically uh, a farce. So if people really want to, to see a situation which they're, they're, that no one's life is threatened and no one loses their life, let's have uh, a politics in which there's going to be a real resolution. You can't pretend that you're concerned about the lives of Israelis mm-hmm. uh, and and have justifications for this continued occupation. The occupation is immoral. Sure, but but and you so, can't. How how would you bring Israelis and Palestinians to the table if you are kind of ahead of time saying that Palestinians have a right to some violent resistance and the Israelis have no right to theirs? Right. So if you, well, it's not it, resistance. They're the oppressors. They're the ones res- who built the wall. No, it's it's resistance. They're the if ones who showed rockets, up at, late to the party and then fired at took civilians, over the entire house. If there are rockets being fired at, civi- at Israeli civilians, then this is then we can no longer chalk this up. But what you're calling a rocket resistance. isn't a rocket. It's not a rocket like is we think not? of a rocket. No, it is no, exactly it's a, crude, a rocket. That, with what materials that they have inside in, in, in on the other they're side of the wall? They're not making them from the from dirt. They they purchase them. They come in from yes, Egypt. They have gunpowder. Yes, it's all smuggled. And yes, I understand, but they're not, nobody's, nobody's, they're not taking out entire neighborhoods with these rockets. Israel's not taking out entire neighborhoods with can rockets. I ask, can I raise, raise a question? How, how would, how would you define mm-hmm. the resistance of the Africans in South Africa to the uh, apartheid regime in South Africa? They also had crude weaponry. You know, they also engaged in what some people in the U.S. consider to be uh, aggressive activities, sure. but they define them as as resistance. But how, does, how does how does an oppressed people how are they supposed to respond to their oppression? Sure, do they do they respond only in those in those ways in which uh, the oppressor will define as as acceptable? No, and of course, and that's a disingenuous argument with, with all due respect, because there's really very little analog between apartheid South Africa and modern Boo, day Israel. Disagree. The the apartheid South Africa white colonialists came into a full population, full population of millions of black people who already lived there, and oppressed them brutally, so that the white majority, I'm sorry, the white minority only would be able to live with their full civil rights. Now in Israel, you have 
have a situation where peace has been offered on very favorable terms to the Palestinians multiple times, including right at the outset, the creation of the Israeli state. Nobody wanted war. But you war. keep ignoring Nobody the fact wanted that unrest. Israel doesn't hold up its end of the bargains repeatedly. So how could they Neither trust that? Neither do the what Palestinians. What do favorable terms mean? It's favorable Pal- terms. Favorable terms means the back. existence of no. a country. When I, in, in apartheid South Africa, there was no desire ever on the part of white colonialists to extend civil rights or, or enfranchisement to black uh, South Africans. There was never that. In Israel, there have been over decades continued attempts uh, at a, a two-state solution, which granted might have might be imperfect, Iraqi, but it is an attempt the towards a solution. The details are different, but the impact is this the same. Is you have one, pre- one absolutely group of people not. that this are given political rights because of their identity and another group of people denied those rights because of their identity. That's what's you know, analogous. The, the, and there's something, there's something kind of weirdly uh, orientalist about, about the analysis that you have uh, 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 an oppressed people and uh, occupy folks who uh, offer these marvelous opportunities to end their oppression <laughs> and, and yet they, they just so irrationally uh, reject those. Really, I mean, just what kind of human beings are we talking about? Yeah, exactly. Are we talking right. about rational human beings? We're talking about uh, despotic, power-hungry, non-democracies. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about people who we're talking about a, a government um, or a governing body that has a vested interest in this kind of quote-unquote occupation because the 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 Palestinian. Uh, leaders are making millions and millions. Okay, can of I make a it's jump the same, here for a minute? It's the same as though they were actually lobbying for a continuation of this Middle Eastern peace crisis. Why don't they? If you were, if you had, if you were in uh, the vice president, why not? put any pressure on Palestinians at all to come to the negotiating table in good faith. That's my question. Why, why is everyone so quick to say that well, Israel, say Israel that has wouldn't. no... Well, you're saying that Israel is the occupier and Palestinians well, are only true. only the oppressed, right? So it's not a two-way street. Well, they don't have any political power, but I'll let that's you answer, That's absolutely untrue. Okay, go ahead. Uh, basically, we're talking about um, uh, unequal power. We're talking about a, a militarized state that is involved in a militarized occupation of a, of, a, of a people who are basically under the full, almost full control of that militarized state. Now, they have been granted some degree of symbolic autonomy, you know, with the uh, Oslo Agreement and the establishment of the, Palest- uh, the uh, Palestinian Authority. But everybody in the, in the region knows that that is, in fact, a joke. So, so prerequisites you know, for Israel would be... be it, and, and, and look, I've been to the occupied territories, Mm-hmm. I've seen how uh, people ha- how, how people are treated. I've been into into Israel proper. Okay. I've seen and sat down and talked with uh, Palestinians in Israel proper. Mm-hmm. It is uh, a, such a extraordinarily dehumanized kind of existence. And you know, and when they hear these kind of analysis that suggests that their so-called leaders are so irrational and so uh, opportunistic. That they would, they would rather have occupation because they could make a little money. You know what they hear is a description of a people that don't really exist, except in, in the imagination of folks who have a vested interest in the continuation of well, the occupation. But here's my question, though: You're saying a prerequisite to the to the peace would be Israel stopping the settlements. Now, on the Palestinian side, is there any prerequisite yes. whatsoever to peace? For example, no longer launching rockets or targeting <laughs> civilians, or is that just not important? Well, the only ones who are uh, uh, launching rockets from time to time, and in, in a few rockets they have left, uh, are the, is Hamas in the Gaza Strip, and, and strip in that open-air uh, bombs to smithereens 
uh, prison. So I think that if there is a real commitment to a, a peace process, I think that the uh, I think the Palestinians can get control of all of the various forces um, uh, to come to the table. And I think that there's, if there's real a real understanding, a real acceptance that uh, the Israeli military will is going to pull back and stop systematically uh, and periodically bombing the Gaza Strip. Uh, then maybe we can begin to move toward uh, uh, a solution. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Okay. I, I think that the facts on the ground no longer, uh, unless there's a complete evacuation by the Israelis, I think the fact on the ground no longer su- no, uh, supports a uh, notion of a two-state solution. I think that the, the greed of the, of the Israelis uh, in wanting to basically take all of the uh, land for themselves and to create these new facts on the ground what they have, have in fact now created in, in terms of a, a so-called solution is a one-state solution. But we're and since saying... they're not prepared, since they're not prepared for that, then as many of the Israeli uh, leaders, including people like uh, David Gurion mm-hmm. and others, have said, you have to have now in, in place a apartheid system. And what we see in Israel right now, I think, is an apartheid system. Okay, but so so just to clarify, so you're saying of Israel, and I agree with you on this, that the settlement should stop. I think that that is a real impediment to peace. But you're saying on the Palestinian side, they don't have to change any of their uh, actions whatsoever towards the Israelis in order to kind of qualify to sit down for the peace process. Uh, I'm not sure what what needs to be changed. I think that the only thing that, that perhaps can stop is for the for the Hamas yeah. to maybe. And that fire weapons back once they uh, when they feel that they have been unfairly attacked by the Israelis. You know, when you have, but, you know, rockets a, a are, are toward, rockets are, are, are shot apropos of nothing. A negotiated solution that basically every all sides have to have to compromise. Sure. But so it's, I think it's, that if there's, there's a difference a serious, between. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. I think if there's a real serious attempt to try to. Uh, to come to a a a, a, a solution, but, I think all I think the military, all of the militaries in the occupied territories, and they have demonstrated this before. They did it during the the Oslo process. Okay, they would they would stop the military actions. But but there's but you you're talking about a compromise that, uh, of, for only one side. Only Israel has to do anything different, not the Palestinians. So that's not a compromise. No, I just said I just said that the, the compromise will be that that everybody will pull back. The Israelis are the ones that have the overwhelming military uh, strength. They're the ones that are able to uh, to to fly uh, uh, F-16s into Gaza and bomb folks, you know. And the response is these wild, crude, uh, you know, flinging of these rockets from from Hamas. I think if there's a real process, that everybody agrees it's a real process uh-huh. leading toward. Uh, uh, a possible solution. The Israelis would stop uh, their incursions, and I think Hamas would probably also stop flinging rockets. Do you think it's it's look, bad look, that look, Israel look, is the, a the Jewish premise, state? The premise that this would the premise that this wouldn't happen again. It boils down to this this kind of racialized Orientalist notion that you're dealing with these wild and crazy subhumans who engage in activities that no other person, no other people on the planet will engage in. Those people just don't exist, my friend. Okay. Well, okay. So let me ask you this. Do you think the problem is that Israel is a Jewish state, specifically as a Jewish character instead of being a secular state or I, I an Arab the, state? The issue of, of, of Israel's Jewishness has been one of the sort of opportunistic elements that has been used over the last couple of decades. That wasn't, you know, so I don't think people are concerned about what do you mean by that? a so-called... Wait, what, what do you mean exactly... That basically the, the the Zionist movement was a secular movement. 
And that this notion of... Uh, you mean like Theodore Herzl, up. like going back to 19th century... Yes, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so basically this, this sort of the use of, 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 of Jewishness uh, has been uh, a, a weapon, an opportunistic weapon to galvanize support inside the country mm-hmm. uh, and to delegitimize de- de- the national aspirations of, of Palestinians. Well, do you mean that like sometimes the defense of Israel, because I encountered this as a defense. Mm-hmm. I'm not putting these words in your mouth, but you can please agree if you agree. Sometimes the defense of Israel is the Holocaust. Do you, why, yeah, is yes. that a bad defense to you? To me, it is a flawed defense. I will go on the record as saying that. We know. Okay, <laughs> and I think a number, I think a number of Israeli uh, commentators, philosophers have also made that same argument that this is, this is something that that is is unjustifiable in terms of uh, justifying the kind of brutal treatment of the Palestinians because of what happened during the Holocaust. Yeah, but you know, North America, I, I mean, uh, uh, North Korea is a secular state ostensibly, and yet it's so much worse than Israel. If you want to talk about brutal oppression, but why we're is not the, arming why is North Jewish... Korea. North Korea is threatening to launch missiles at California. It's totally different. But how Israel you, is an arm why, of the United States government. Okay, but why is it? Okay, here's the problem, though. Before Israel, before Israel, we had p- pogroms. Genocides, Holocaust, and I Jews. And, you mean Jews? Jews we Jews. Of, of, Got it. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking about obviously. You're asking we as Jews. if you're asking obviously. if Ajamu is anti-Semitic. No, That's I, what you're asking. I'm asking. I'm asking. Why is it that? Um, why is it that it's a poor defense? Oh well, I don't know. Ajamu, do you like a, Jews? Do you have a, a problem with Jews? State, That's what Jews, Karen wants to know. Listen, if Jews have been overwhelmingly targeted, overwhelmingly historically targeted for abuse and genocide, so are black people. Okay, there's Look, la- some, and there's lots of some, black some, countries. Some of, the, some of the fiercest criticism, some, some of the fiercest, fiercest critics of Israel uh-huh. are, are, are some of my, and I, and I sound like Archie Bunker or somebody, some of my Jewish friends. <laughs> they say, stuff, they say uh-huh. stuff that I really, I'm reluctant to say to a certain extent. Uh-huh. So this notion that one's critique of, of Israel is based on some kind of secret uh, anti-Semitism. Well, that's not what I, I mean, said. That was to, Tommy. It's sort of a hustle. It's almost like when people claim that black folks, you know, play the so-called race card. I mean, it, it is such a hustle. But basically, you 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 you, you wrap yourself in this uh, anti-Semitic uh, uh, thing, mm. uh, and it means that, that everybody else is supposed to be silent when the, the Israeli state is engaging in uh, uh, gen- almost genocidal. Uh, behavior. Take the almost out of it. Take the almost out. I would say it is genocidal. So here's the question. Here's the question. But surely you can have some sympathy uh, for Jewish concerns about another Holocaust. That's not that hard to wrap your... Everybody can probably relate if you accept the Holocaust as a real historical thing that happened. But that doesn't have anything to do with the justification of Israel. Can I please finish? Like one question, Tommy, for the love of fucking God. We apologize on behalf of Tommy. Um, What what, what, what do you say to people who... uh, Israelis, Jews all over the world... who would say, okay, fine. There, I agree that there are problematic elements with the Jewish state maintaining a Jewish character of a state, right? And when you have to balance this with the concerns of Palestinians, well, how do we prevent another Holocaust? And, and like, isn't that so sympathetic? I, I really don't, and I, and I can't really step into the consciousness and worldviews of, of of Jewish people. But it seems to me, from the outside, that the historical conditions that uh, uh, 
you know, that, that could lead to a second uh, Holocaust just mm-hmm. don't exist. I don't see how, how that could be a real concern. You don't see, but well, look, there's the rise of anti-Semitism here and, and abroad in Europe. You see a lot of far-right groups and not only becoming more vocal, but taking political power in parliaments and governments. You see uh, the rise of a huge destabilization in the Middle East with ISIS. Um, n- nothing's changed. Uh, all the Israel's enemies that border Israel, nothing has changed in their desire to see Israel not exist. So I don't so, see any, any, I don't see those forces being able to galvanize themselves and take state power and to be able to institute that kind of activity in any kind of, of those nation states. Isn't that a little bit historically short-sighted, though? I mean, that could change within a generation or two. No, it's so factional. And the other thing is, is that, like... Um, it, what's so factual? It, that- it, it, no, no, it's, it's it, everybody's in factions now. Like, nobody's agreeing. Nobody, All these people that you're saying, like, the rise of ISIS, it's not like there's, like, a, an organized, centralized movement against Jews. It's just a lot of people are attacking yes, Jews. in the Holocaust. Sure. Wait, before the Holocaust. But I don't think that it's also, the same. There's no they, mastermind they, they, designing it that we can see. That's right. I don't yet, think. Yet, yet, that's how these movements take hold. There's some popular idea. Okay, but ostensibly, let's bring it Jews, back to the United and States. And then somebody because... galvanizes those people. The fact that you're saying it hasn't been galvanized now, look, 75 years ago or whatever, just happened. That just happened. So, say the conditions for that to happen again not only don't exist, which is not true, but couldn't exist, seems short sighted when you're dealing with a people that has a collective memory going back thousands of years. Well, how do you how do you deal with the fact that there are a significant there are a number of people who uh, have positions that are very similar to mine uh, vis-a-vis uh, the the Israeli state, the treatment of Palestinians, okay, uh, the opportunistic way in which they are using the Jewish religion. But why does their, that uh, condemnation of using the Holocaust to justify and, and the treatment of Palestinians who had nothing to do with the Holocaust? But we're conflating I mean, how things do you, now. How do you how do you how do you, do you, uh, those people sort of? Uh, outside of the pale of, of Jewishness because they have those kinds of critiques? Well, it's. Well, I think we're conflating a couple different things here. So first of all, we're talking about the rights of, of Jews to prevent another Holocaust, okay? So that's one, that's one thing which I would hope every human being would have empathy for and would support. I would hope that because that we, the Jew, in the Jewish memory, um, that this just happened. You know, there's survivors who are still alive. So it's mm-hmm. recent and and urgent, the need for a Jewish state. Now, on the other hand, you have the justific using uh, the kind of, you know, preservation of the Jewish character of the Jewish state as one state and not two to justify what I agree with you is a really unpleasant occupation that needs to end. It's a cancer on Israeli society. (laughs) Okay. Oh my God. Okay. Can you cut me slack ever? Sure. Um, (laughs) But do you know what I'm saying? I, I don't know why. So people like you, like you said, who who uh, take issue like that, I don't understand why it has to be the same issue that the Jewish state has no right to exist because there it, there are human rights abuses. Why can't we solve the human rights abuses and keep the Jewish state, which we need, which Jewish people need? Do you know what I mean? I, That's I, where I, it I, seems unreasonable to me. Yeah, I didn't hear that last part. Say, say the last part again. So the question is, what, why, why is it that? What, why are these two things one thing, right? So how come, um, on the one hand, you know, you're saying that that Israel justifies. Uh, oppression by saying, well, this is a Jewish state, we have to keep it Jewish, and we have to keep it one state. I agree that that's toxic. I totally agree with you. But on the other hand, why does that mean that there shouldn't be a Jewish state? We historically need the Jewish state. There are Holocaust survivors living in the Jewish state now. So is the question, do you think that there is a need for a Jewish state? That's I guess, Is that the fundamental question you're asking? Well, the, the question is, how, is it, do you think it's possible to separate 
those things. The need for Israel to, to the need for peace in Israel and a two-state solution, right? With the need for a continuation of the Jewish state. Why should the Jewish state not exist? Uh, I'm 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 sort of personally opposed to any state that's established on the basis of, of religion, be it a Jewish state, Islamic state, Christian state. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think that I think the, the human development has gone beyond that. And so mm-hmm. um, I'm, I'm opposed to that, that idea. I think that uh, people who are people of the Jewish uh, faith yeah. uh, definitely uh, need to have the uh, and deserve the, the, the right to be free and to be able to practice the religion mm-hmm. uh, unencumbered. And I would defend that, uh, 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 you know, to the to the last breath. Mm-hmm. But that does not justify uh, the treatment that's being melted out to Palestinians, who had nothing to do with the Holocaust. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it has nothing to do with the justification for the continued uh, sixty, almost sixty-eight year now uh, occupation uh-huh. uh, of, of those of those of those lands. Sure. So basically, you know, I, I think that people like uh, uh, Norman. Uh, uh, Finkelstein and others who, who criticize this sort of uh, what he calls the uh, Holocaust industry. I think that, you know, uh, that there's some substance to some of those critiques. I mean, again, I'm, I don't get into that myself because I, I'm, I'm respectful for that kind of, I see that sort of an internal conversation. Okay. But it, it, it you know, I, I, I saw the consequence of that occupation. Okay. And I mean, it's amazing to me that people have been able to to live like that for as long as they have lived. I mean, I was in, I was in uh, uh, Hebron. Uh-huh. I mean, it is incredible, and the hatred that I saw in the eyes of 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 of, of, of Jewish people mm-hmm. toward Palestinians was like it was it was chilling. But- and I went through the, the checkpoints, you know, and and I. I, I saw how people are forced to live with putting cages over their balconies because Jewish mobs come down the street from time to time and throw rocks up into their into their homes. Mm-hmm. You know, I, how how can one morally justify that? Well, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with that's you what, on that. That's I'm, what I find bizarre in the U.S. Sure, but I, I'm with you on that. I, I don't think that's incorrect at all to say that that's um, a, a cancer in Israeli society. But um, here's my question, though. You said that you're opposed to a state that's based on, uh, founded on religion, but the Palestinians had a state, it would be based on uh, Islam. They Currently, their, their governing bodies, whatever, have Islamic laws written in. They have, you know, like the, the modesty police and all that kind of thing. So why wouldn't you also be opposed to that? Look, we, we know that the, the Palestinian movement, for the most part, has always been a secular uh, movement, in particular the, the more left elements of it. That it wasn't really until there was encouragement and some support yes. uh, from the Israeli state mm-hmm. uh, that we saw it never, uh, uh, mm-hmm. sort of, uh, yeah. a, a more defined development of these uh, Islamic elements inside the uh, occupied territory. It's so tricky. It's so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so tricky. Yeah, well, you're right about that. It's a you're way right. to keep them down. It's a way to divide and conquer. It's okay, the same thing if... that happened at the genesis of this country Fine, but... when they had white servants and black slaves living in the same houses. They gave some people more. They pushed people in a, in a more conservative direction. They gave them more rights. And that's where the otherization begins. That's how you divide. Fine. But if the Palestinian state were not secular, if it were... It, if it were religious, would you have a problem oh, with boo. that? Can we stop talking about Israel? Can I we go back to the I United States? I want to answer the question. Can you stop interrupting me? I am not What's wrong with you? No, no, no I, I want to talk about I'm, the United States. Just, I just yeah, want to no, know no, that. Yeah, 
Uh, my last last response on that is basically I, I, I'm not hypocritical. I mean, that you could say a lot about Ajamo Baraka, but I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> fairly consistent. So if I say that I'm opposed to uh, a, a, a theocracy or a religious state, yeah. it doesn't matter if, it, if it's Palestine, Palestine or whoever. Uh-huh. Yeah, fair enough. Or the Christian nation that we live in. Um, here's my question, Karen. Wait, are you just going to drop that and run away? What? No, no, no. <laughs> I'm so nice. So... When you talk about occupation and you talked about militarization, Ajamu, like it sounds yep. like black communities and poor communities in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, there's like a military, there's a police occupation of black communities in this country. How do you feel about that? And how do you feel about resistance that you see there, Karen? Do you? Well, I, yeah. I, I, me? I, no, you first. I'm just curious because you're the, it's, well, yes, you, Ajamu, of course. I mean, but I think I've heard you speak on this before, so I know how you feel. But yeah, what do you think, Ajamu? Is, it, is there a similarity there? There's a similarity in terms of the relationship to power. Mm-hmm. But I, again, I, I, what I saw in, in occupied Israel is something I've never seen before in my life. And I've been all over this, this planet. Um, You're a veteran, right? So mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a vet also. And, and so the, the occupation that we experience in the U.S., uh, is a, a grinding kind of occupation, but it's not at the level of, of brutality that I re- witnessed in, in Israel. Now, I could get to that point, uh, but I think that, uh, uh, and I, I don't like really comparing in that way, but, you know, the, the, but the dehumanization, the, the, the hatred, uh, the violence that we see in the U.S. Is, is, is similar, but not at the level of what I saw in, in the occupied territories. And so what is the, okay, so this is the thing, right? So you're talking about power to the people and, and gather and getting people from all different communities together. What is the bridge? What's the mechanism for getting everybody from communities, uh, from poor communities, from poor urban, from poor rural communities, from all different ethnicities and races and religions to like somebody like Jill Stein, you know, the white woman who lives in a nice house in Lexington in a suburb, you know, how do we get, how do we get everybody's. How, how do we get everybody to care about this planet that we live on together? We, we, we have to forge a common, a common vision. We have to remind ourselves of our common humanity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's kind of almost that simple and complex at the same time. Mm-hmm. The, the problem, though, is that we're not going to be able to get everybody on board because there are some people who have a vested interest in, in the social relationships as they exist today. And are prepared to, in fact, uh, uh, struggle to maintain their their privileges. Uh, so what we have to do is build among people who have a vision, who believe that we can be more than what we are today as human beings. That these societies we live in today are not the, the apex of human development. Yeah. That in fact they are, are, are quite backward, especially when one looks at so-called Western civilization as being the the model of what we should be uh, aspiring to. That. We have to have a vision that goes beyond that. We have to have a vision that, that questions the kind of materialism that we have that's, that's normalized in this society. We have, a, we, have to, we have to go beyond these, these kinds of, of, of elements if we're going to be able to save this, save ourselves. Do you think that the United States planet. is the best place, though? Because, like, I traveled a little bit this summer, and I've been to South Africa, and I've been to Israel. I have not, I've been to East Jerusalem, but I haven't really been to the occupied. I didn't go through a checkpoint. Mm-hmm. So I've seen a little bit. Um, but what I find is that even as critical as I can be, the United States is the best place. Like, I don't want to live anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, Ireland was really beautiful, but, like, kind of boring, so I'm not going to live I there. It's full of Irish. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I don't want – like, do you, do you think that there's any place better than the United States? 
Well, uh, let me frame it like this. Um, I, I I don't see U.S. society as being the uh, uh, the the city on the, the shining city on the hill. Is there one? There's, some, there, there's none right now. I think that there is some. I think that what we saw in Western Europe mm-hmm. uh, under you know some of the social democratic regimes over the last you know, six decades, we saw the possibility of how. Uh, how people could live in terms of being able to be freed up from uh, the fear and anxiety of not having health care, um, of, 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 of having the ability to have, take vacations, to have parental leave, and, and all those kinds of things. I think that we see some potential there. The kind of things that Bernie Sanders talked about. Uh-huh. Do you like you know, Bernie? But I, I actually like Bernie. I think Bernie has some contradictions. I think, mm-hmm. you know, but in terms of Bernie, Bernie made a very uh, uh, positive contribution. Bernie raised the issue of, of, of socialism, even though it was a limited concept. I think it was important to raise. Bernie was the only one that had the ability to to uh, to uh, to call attention again to the 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 one percent and and how they were basically ripping off the rest of us. Yeah. Uh, but Bernie had issues in terms of his, his inability to uh, to take a firm and principled stand against uh, U.S. imperialism. Yeah. All that despite being a Jew. Just kidding. (laughs) What? Okay, so here's last question for me. What is Donald Trump doing right? It's really easy to see what he's doing wrong. Oh, is that it? (laughs) The question's not for you. What 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 is he doing right right now, if anything? I don't really see anything that Donald Trump has done done right at this point. I think even the potential he had in terms of, of of trying to stick to his guns to uh, uh, to engage in a, a, a dialogue with the Russians, it appears that now they are abandoning uh, that. So, um, and I, I, and you know, and this this latest move he made in terms of this insane request to increase the military budget mm-hmm. by fifty four billion dollars. Insane. I mean, it is it is it, it, it's, 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 uh, that word again. It's bizarre. Mm-hmm. And it's bizarre that we have not had a more uh, aggressive reaction. Uh, from the Democrats. So, no, I don't see anything that he's doing correctly. I think that uh, his administration is still trying to find his, itself. I think that even strategically, uh, by him attempting to go back now and, and pick back up the, the uh, health care issue is a, is a mistake. He needs to move toward infrastructure mm-hmm. where he can basically begin to build a bipartisan uh, foundation and, and maybe dissipate some of the, the intense criticism of his administration. But yeah, the man's not a politician, and mm. he, I don't think that anybody can really advise him correctly. So he's making uh, mistake after after mistake. Cool. Okay, so Ajamo, I don't I, I don't know if Shade, uh, your assistant, told you, but we we're like a comedy podcast, despite not being <laughs> one bit funny today. So we do a segment at the end of every show called Rapid Fired. So we're just going to ask you questions, and you just answer them like as quickly as possible. They're going to be some silly, but some like um, like first, like are you a Russian spy? Like everyone said, you and Jill Stein were Stein were. So are you? Uh, not today. <laughs> not today? Okay. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow. All right, Karen, your turn. <laughs> um, okay. Um, all right. Wait. Okay. Can I ask you if you're comfortable with this? So we play this game <laughs> called Mary Fuck Kill. You totally don't have to participate if you don't want to, but it's kind of symbolic for us because it like is a really good read of where people are in terms of like marriage, death, and sex. So, um, okay. Ready? Do you know this game? Do you know, do you know the rules of the game? Like you have to pick somebody to marry, somebody to fuck. I can't believe I just said that to you. And somebody to kill. Sorry. <laughs> so you have to pick one of okay. each. All right. So now Karen, you right. go. Okay. You don't even have to say fuck if you don't. You can just say marry and kill and the other one's a or, default. Or say it. Or whatever. Okay. So uh, Jill Stein, Hillary Clinton, Kellyanne Conway. Oh, God. 
Wait, just I hit a pleasure. Who? Kellyanne. Who's that? Kellyanne. Kellyanne Conway. She's the blonde, like the nutbaggy oh, blonde. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah which one would I choose? Yeah, you have to know. You have to choose one to do each two. So to, Mary, to F, Mary, kill. Mary and kill. Let's start with Mary and kill. And then we'll oh, just infer. <laughs> okay, all right. So, so uh, I would uh, marry uh, Kellyanne. Okay. Uh, Wait, why? Why, why? marry Kellyanne? She's interesting in terms of how she deals with the media. Okay, yeah, she is. We agree. I would have to, I have to do in Hillary Clinton, <laughs> um, and I guess I screw the other one. <laughs> yes, yes. Best you ever. are the best. <laughs> I think that might have been the best answer I've ever heard in my ever. life. Oh man, that's amazing. Okay, so I have a quick question: Did you ever, for one second, think that you could win this election? I thought that if we would have got into the into the debates, I think we would have been competitive. I really and truly believe that. Okay. I think that the, the, based on those 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 folks who are running, I, yes, I do. Cool. Well, I hope that when you and Rosa Clemente join forces and run in twenty twenty, they let you into the debates. <laughs> okay. That's what should happen. Or Susan Sarandon, you know, get somebody loud and mouthy. That's what that's what I think. You need the Green Party or whatever party. We saw with Donald Trump, like everybody needs to be on social media acting just honest. If it's crazy, mm-hmm. then be honestly crazy. If it's angry, like Rosa Clemente was at Jill Stein the day after the election. Mm-hmm. And she actually had very nice words for you in that, you know. Uh, but if it, just be honest. And, and there wasn't enough of that. And I never got that from Jill. But I do get it from you. And I really appreciate it. Do you think that? Um, well, I appreciate that. Do you think that Barack Obama kind of like stole all of the um, popular support for someone with Barack in their name? <laughs> uh, to a certain extent, yeah, he's confused people. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has. Do you think he's a psychopath? <laughs> uh, I actually don't think he's a healthy person, no. Do you think he's a war criminal? Yes, I do. Yeah, you do. All right, Ajamo, this was amazing. Wow, you're the best. You're Thank you so much for talking If you're ever in New York, please come to the studio and hang with us. Oh, I have one more question. Do you smoke pot? Oh, good question. At Green Party. Uh, not, not anymore. Oh, no. so Only because it's, it's, it's so incredibly strong. That's what everyone from I mean, your that's generation what we love says. About it. So I know, but everyone, you're not, yeah. You're not that green is what that means. <laughs> <laughs> so room for improvement is how we're going to leave it. All right, we'll get, some, we'll get some weak weed. You can smoke weak weed with us when yeah, you come. Yeah, we got you. We got you back. Um, are you, what there do you, you what, go. What would you like to promote, your tour? Well, the, the tour, and, and today I launched a, a new uh, formation uh, uh, in an attempt to rebuild the anti-war movement here in this country. It's called the Black Alliance for Peace. Uh, we're using the 50th anniversary of Dr. King's Beyond Vietnam speech to mm-hmm. call attention to, to the fact that uh, 50 years later, we still have the responsibility to to oppose militarism and to oppose war. Can- uh, and so uh, we know that the, the black community has always been the most consistent anti-war community before Barack Obama. Mm-hmm. Now we want to try to recapture that as part of, of the effort to build, to build a broader anti-war movement here in this country can white people hang out in your movement yeah, they could they, they could definitely support it we 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 and and, and we are building toward and we have a a, a national convention in june mm-hmm. uh, the united national anti-war coalition which is the umbrella organizational coalition for all of the various elements the black alliance and all of the other anti-war elements here in this country Cool. That sounds amazing. So amazing. We'll look into it. Yeah. Thank you so much for hanging out and talking to us. What is it? Ajamubaraka.com? Ajamubaraka.com. And for the new uh, formation, uh, the Black Alliance for Peace. 
Cool. Oh, excellent. If you're ever looking for a Jewish white woman to go into politics with, um, I am your girl. <laughs> I'll be here podcasting. <laughs> okay. You okay, know where to reach us. Ajama, this was amazing. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Let's do, let's do it again. Yeah, for sure we Please, will. Please, welcome anytime. All right, take care. Okay, then. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye.